Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Your definition of good is probably like most people's definition of good. And what we mean by good is really comparatively better. I call it comparative righteousness. But he's saying the real definition of good is utter goodness. And when you start talking about utter goodness, not compared to other people goodness, but utter goodness, ooh, that's something that's, that's, that's God. Now we're in God territory, okay? Now, haven't we all done that? When we talk about righteousness, when we talk about the goodness of God, when we talk about heaven, that's why Christians, when they preach the gospel, that's why they talk about sin so much. It's not that they're, you know, oh, old-fashioned and they want to talk about sin, but because sin really makes sense of when we talk about the goodness of God, when we talk about the righteousness of God. When most of us talk about it, what we mean is, well, I'm as good as the next guy, right? Look, if the standard to get into heaven is just be better than somebody else, everybody can find somebody that they're better than, right? Everybody says, well, I'm a good person. I've used this exercise with you before, but let's just pretend for a minute that the standard to get into heaven is not perfect, holy righteousness of God. Let's say the standard to get into heaven is just, I don't know, be better than somebody else. In fact, what if the standard to get into heaven today, I snap my fingers and it changed, and suddenly the only standard to get into heaven is just don't be the morally worst person on your pew right now, on your row. Go ahead, look up and down. You like your chances? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if the whole road turned and when they got to you, you were like, oh, I'm good. I'm good, dog. You're here. You should change your life, man. They're trying to speak to you. All right. But you get the point. That's ridiculous. Why? Because why would the standard of heaven, if God is perfect, why would the standard be, um, be just be good as other people? The standard of heaven should be perfect, righteous. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. And uh, uh, the only people who still use the word righteous, because, you know, righteous has the, a lot of, we talk about righteous, we hear self-righteous, which, uh, you know, what's worse than that? The only people who still use the word righteous in a biblical way that I can find, in modern English, the only time I hear people use the word righteous in a biblically correct definition are the surfers out on the West Coast. When they talk about the sun is setting and they're out there on the beach and they think about the waves today and they're like, there's no other way to describe it, man. The waves were righteous. Cuckoo, little buddy, right? It's like, because the third graders are here. I'm throwing in a little Nemo, yeah, right? When they talk about righteous, what do they mean? They mean everything was perfect, man. It was just perfect. Everything, nothing missing, nothing broken. Righteous. Now we're talking. Right. And you don't get that from comparing yourself to other people. In fact, when you compare yourself to that kind of goodness, you don't look so good anymore. And if the standard is absolute perfection, you start to say, well, my goodness, just the Ten Commandments. I've I've stolen. I've told a lie. And if I didn't admit that I've stolen, I just admitted I'm a liar. So. Right. Uh, uh, I've, I've broken these. If you just broke three commandments a day and lived an average lifespan, just three little commandments a day over a course of a life, you've broken 80,000 commands. That's 80,000 sins. Come on. Come on, so who's good? And so he gets right to the heart of this. It's like he knew him. It's like he made him. He knew this guy. And so he says, look, I'm going I'm to cut to the chase. Let's talk about what your standard is of good. Because what he's about to reveal in this guy is his biggest problem. And it's not money. It's not riches. It's the self-righteousness. He, he doesn't see his need for a savior. So he says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And there's a double entendre there, I think. There's a little double meaning. It's also a little bit of a divinity claim. See, what he's saying is, why are you calling me good? No one's good but God alone. Unless you're saying, like, 
you know, me and God like the same. Because now that would be something. Disciples, you listen to this? Because it's true, right? So there's kind of two things going on. One is he's talking about this guy's standard of goodness. And he's saying, unless you're saying that I meet that standard of goodness. And then we, we got somewhere. But anyway, Jesus knows, you know, because he and his, the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. So Jesus knows the scriptures. And he knows that, for example, in Romans, the Bible says the law was given. The law can do this thing. When people struggle with the idea of God's standard is perfect and, well, nobody's perfect. That's what the law is supposed to do. The law can help us see, wow, no, I'm not okay before a holy God. Look, as long as I'm comparing myself to other people, I can always feel like, hey, me and God are going to be okay. God sort of graves on, grades on the curve, you know. I'm not as bad as other people, right? And that's foolish thinking. Because really, for one thing, where does it stop? Well, what about people that are 99% righteous? Yeah, they get in. Okay, what about 98%? Would you let them in? Yeah, I guess so. What about 80? 80%? Difference between heaven and hell? Well, yeah, I guess so. All right, so say you get there and you're 79.99. You don't want him to round up? All right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess 79 gets into. Where does it stop? Well, I don't like 10%, right? You come up with some crazy number. That makes no sense. It's all or nothing. Either we have righteousness or we don't. And the standard to get in is that, that level. Now, what can help us see that? The law. Romans says the law was given to stop the mouth of the sinner. Because that's what we do. We justify ourselves. Oh, no, I'm okay. Look, I'm better than this guy. Well, yeah, I sinned, but I've got reasons for my sin. Yes, I don't like that person. Yes, I showed hatred, but have you met them, right? I mean, we all justify all of our stuff. The law was given to do what? To silence the mouth of the sinner so that every mouth can be stopped and every person held accountable before God. Quit blaming other people. Yes, a lot of people have sinned against you. The law will deal with them. But what you got to admit, you haven't always been the victim. You have at times been the victimizer. And the law, when you look at the law, you go, oh, right? And so Jesus does exactly that. He starts with the law and he says, all right, let's do a little operating on your heart. Let's do a little, let's do a little soul exposure. Here we go. The Ten Commandments will do that. So he says, you know the commandments. Here we go. Starts listing them. Now he lists them out of order, but it's his prerogative. They're his commandments. He can list them in whatever order he wants. He starts with six, seven, eight, and then skips back to five, whatever. He, he's getting going here. You shall not murder. Starts naming the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. That means uh, uh, bear false witness, shall not defraud. Those are both related to the ninth commandment. Honor your father and mother. So how many has he gone through so far? He's just If you're keeping score, he's gone through five, right? And so he's about to mention the other five when, this is great. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Dude cuts Jesus off. Look, let me tell you a modern-day translation of verse 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you imagine the Lord of glory is naming through the Ten Commandments? He only gets through five. He's like, blah, blah, blah. I have kept all these since I was a youth. And so Jesus is kind of like, oh. Oh, well, well clearly the law is, is not doing its job in your life. You're not allowing the law to do exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to expose the very self-righteous. If there is a more self-righteous, a more sanctimonious comment in all of Scripture than to look at the perfect one, the good one, the one who actually did follow all the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, 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 I follow them all perfectly. And so Jesus, I think, I think he, he, well, I know, Jesus knows what he's dealing with here. And so he says, okay, okay, I got it. I You've stopped me because you know where I'm going with this. And you've been taught, okay? You apparently weren't here like four chapters ago for the Sermon on the Mount. So, so let me give you a short version. 
you were taught that following the letter of the law is what makes you righteous before God. Like, you were literally taught that, oh, if, as long as I never physically commit the act of murder, then I've never murdered. I can pat myself back on the back and say I'm good to go. If I've never physically slept with someone that's not my spouse, I can pat myself on the back and say, hey, I'm good to go. But if you would listen to the Sermon on the Mount, you'd realize the point is not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. And the same anger that burns inside of you, just because it never, you know, was fully born into murder just because the same lust that is inside of you never fully you know matured into one day full-blown adultery it doesn't mean that the sin and wickedness is not still there so jesus doesn't even go through the rest of the commandments he cuts right to the chase he says then let's talk spirit of the law okay jesus looked at him and see look if i if i were verse 21 jesus looked at him and struck him dead you know (laughs) how dare you you sanctimonious You know, you little punk, you're going to stop me, the Lord of glory. Here's what we forget. Because, you know, you hear all these sermons. Jesus loved the sinner. He loved the down and out. He did. But Jesus looked at him. And what's that word say? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved Jesus. Let me tell you. Jesus loved the down and out. But he loved the up and out too. For every Pharisee, every self-righteous, smug Pharisee, he poured out his own precious blood on the cross. He loved sinners. He loved Pharisees. Because he loved us. And sometimes we're sinners and sometimes we're Pharisees. And I love that precious verse. Jesus looked at him. He didn't despise him. He didn't hate on him. He loved him. And because he loved him, he was willing to ask him something that could, that could, it could point to the salvation of his soul. I mean, he could be saved in this moment. And he loved him. And so he said, all right, I'm not going to continue going through the letter of the law because I know every time I mention a law from the Old Testament, you're going to go check, check, check. We're going to play this game. It's going to go on forever. So I'm going to speed the whole thing up. He says, all right, one thing you lack. Just do this. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Now that stopped the mouth of the sinner. He says, all right, then let's get to the spirit of the law. Take all the stuff you have, because you're a rich dude, and sell it all, give it to the poor, treasure in heaven, come follow me. And look what happened. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Missed his moment. Now, the the irony, you see, is this. When Jesus got to the spirit of the law, when he said, I mean, here his mouth is stopped. When he said, let's go back to that verse, go sell everything you have. In that command, interestingly, Jesus is getting to the spirit of the law. Look, I can show you. When he was asked in Matthew, what are the greatest commandments? Like, how would you boil down the Ten Commandments? Jesus said it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the first and greatest commandments. And if you think about all Ten Commandments, they can sort of be boiled down into those two commands. Love God first, and then love, you know, your neighbor. In there, you can see them both. Go sell everything you have, and come follow me. Those parts of the verse show what? Love of God. You want to be good? You want... You want to follow God perfectly? Take all those riches, and because I said so, let's see your obedience to God. Or do you love something more than God? Are you putting something above God? Because if you're not, you'll have no problem following this command. I mean, it'll hurt. It'll be, you know, you, you won't enjoy necessarily selling everything you have, but you won't mind doing it because the first thing in your life is love for God. Oh, and not for nothing, sell it and give all that money to the poor. Bless the people around you. Why? That's love your neighbor as yourself. So here we go. Can you do that? I mean, let's get, to this, let's get to the real nuts and bolts. Let's get to the spirit of the law. Can you do that? Sell everything you have, give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. And he couldn't. He couldn't. Now, in this, you know, I really, I'm going to make a turn here. And I don't want to lose anybody in the turn. But here it is. 
the deal with this is that his sin was not money. It was not the man's sin that he had riches. It was his self-righteousness. He thought he was righteous before God when, in fact, he was breaking the very first commandment. No other gods before me. And he was putting money before the Lord. His sin was not that he was rich. His sin was, if you will, idolatry, right? Which is the second commandment. He was making money into his God. Let me say it again. His sin was not that he was rich. His sin was that while he looked like a put together guy, an all right guy, somebody who when asked, do you follow the letter of the law? Yeah, I do. This is a guy who you would elect to be president of your PTA. This is a guy that you would totally allow to babysit your children. This was a guy you'd be thrilled if he became your kid's soccer coach. This would be a guy, if he ran for city council, you'd be the first one to elect him. He's a good upstanding guy. He looked great on the outside. His sin was not that he was rich. His sin was he was uh, an idolater. He was self-righteous. And when Jesus asks him to sell everything he has and give to the poor, it's because he's trying to expose that guy's self-righteousness. He's trying to expose that things are not good between him and his heavenly father. Now, some people read this and say, does that mean Jesus wants me to sell everything I have and give to the poor? Kids, we're selling everything and give to the poor. But dad, won't we be poor? Yes, we can only hope someone else follows this and gives to us. Like, yeah, it's not what, he, it's not what he's saying. What he's, what's he trying to do? He's saying, look, I need a scalpel here to, to, to kind of delineate. I need to cut through all this nonsense and get to the point. Your sin has to be exposed. You're not okay. Look, if you were perfectly okay before God, this would be, sir, yes, sir, I'm ready to follow you. Oh, and give to the poor. I love my neighbor. This is great. He needs something to expose this guy for being self-righteous. And he missed it. The guy's like very sad. Now look, what happens next, you got to explain that the disciples are like, you know, Jesus, Jesus walks, watches the guy walk off, doesn't run after him, watches the guy walk off. He looks around, he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Mm, it's tough. And the disciples were like, man, we've heard this before. Like Jesus started his first sermon with, blessed are you who are poor. Like what's going on here? Why would he say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Does, do, doesn't, and the disciples thought this, this was very prevalent in the ancient Near East. It's a little prevalent even today, but it was really prevalent back then. I thought if you were rich, if you were put together like this guy, I thought that meant God was blessing you. Like aren't riches and wealth a sign that God is blessing you? And so they ask him like, the disciples were amazed at this. Like, they don't say anything, but Jesus can tell they're amazed. They're going, but he, like, if he's rich, he obviously has God's blessing on his life. How can Jesus say? So then he, he clarifies. Oh, sorry, you thought I was talking about the rich. Children, how hard it is, period, to enter the kingdom of God. You can't get there on your own righteousness. This guy said he followed all the laws. It's not going to happen. The standard is here. And even if you get really, really close, you're going to miss it. You, it can't get in. In fact, I'll give you an example. It's a funny example. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Right? Which I think you're supposed to laugh at. Nowadays, most preachers, we ruin it. We're like, now the Greek word for camel. I think he's just being funny. Yeah. You know, really, you can read these commentaries. Now, the, the needle's eye was this hole in the wall. and all, Maybe. I, I really think he's just saying, look, he's trying to imagine this, this thing that could never happen. And a lot of us, you know what? A lot of us, we live our life hearing this word. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than somebody who has their own independence, who doesn't need God. Like, you know, that's what riches can do. It can make you think, well, I don't need anybody. I don't need God. Until we are broken and we realize I'm not getting in without God. We're like a camel trying to get through the needle's eye. In fact, you know what I see a lot of people doing? A lot of people live like, but if I could be really, really good, if I could be really, really moral, 
then I could get in. To which I always want to say, that is like a camel going, but if I just dropped a couple pounds. <laughs> You'd be like, you crazy camel that can talk? That, that's not, we got talking camels. I'm helping. I know they're here. The second graders. Uh, You'd say, you crazy talking camel? You, it doesn't matter how much, you, you're missing, you cannot, there is no way that camel's go, going through the eye of a needle. And that's how people say, but if I could just be a little bit more righteous, then I could get God's good favor and his good standing. It's not going to happen. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not even close. So now the disciples were even more amazed. I don't even get the camel thing. Me neither. You ask him, you ask him, fine. Well, who then can be saved? Like, we are totally unclear now. If you can't get moral enough, if what they're really asking is, if that guy, rich young ruler, he is everything that we're all trying to be. He is put together. He's obviously knows how to hold down a good job, okay? He's a ruler. He's got some measure of authority. He looks good on the outside. He fell at your knees, Jesus. He called, you're the one he called good. He's followed all the Old Testament commands. If Mr. Perfect is not getting in, who does? Jesus is like, yes. You lay up these softballs, I'll keep crushing them. <laughs> Jesus looked at him, he said, yeah, that's it. You nailed it. You got it. You've just asked the right question. Nobody gets in on their own. Because with man, this is impossible. You climbing the ladder of morality will not get you there. You may even climb the ladder of morality. You may be a big shot. You may climb the whole ladder of morality. You get to the top, you realize, oh, it was leaning against the wrong wall. You're on the wrong ladder, right? So you keep climbing. It's not, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. Say it with me. All things are possible with God. Even the salvation of a sinful human soul is possible for our mighty God. All things are possible for God. And that's why we can be saved. People say, I want to see a miracle like God did in the Old Testament. I want to see the Long Island Sound divided in two and no need for a ferry or, you know, whatever. You realize every time a human being turns from darkness to light, every time somebody gets saved, you realize what a miracle that is. It's impossible. They couldn't have done it by themselves. It took an act of God because it's not impossible for God. He's still mighty to save. So anyway, the, the, this beautiful scene here, Jesus obviously taking a teachable moment with the disciples and and he, he's exposing to, to the disciples, look, the problem is not that this guy was, it wasn't his money. It wasn't that he was rich. He was an idolater. Now, why do I keep calling him an idolater? Well, an idol is just something that you place before God, ahead of God. And here's Jesus saying, follow me, sell everything you have. These are the words from God. And he's going, well, no, I don't want to do that. He's putting something ahead of God. That's all. He's an idol. He's an idolater. He looked great on the outside, you know, blessed. But in reality, he was the pitiful possession of a satanic master. Now, the human heart, I can empathize. I'll tell you why. The human heart, as it turns out, is like an idol factory. I can crank out idols. Man, I can make an idol out of almost anything. But if you're like me, I'm very particular about my idols. I don't just want any idols. I have my standards. (laughs) Now, here's an idol I've never worshipped. Golden calf. Never. I've never even been tempted. I do not. That does not scare me that the second through sixth graders here today are going to secretly be in sin for idolatry by looking at one another being like, hey, bro, 
I just got a new golden calf over at my place. Why don't you sneak over? Tell your mom we're going to Jimmy's. Come to my house. We'll get in a couple bows. It's going to be hot. It's not my fear. Not my fear. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. You don't either. Why? Because that idol, we laugh at that in the Old Testament. How could anybody worship that? Do you know if those people could look at us, they would laugh at the stuff we worship. But why did they worship that idol? Here's the one who brought you out. Here's the one who delivered you. Why am I particular? Let me tell you about the particular kind of idols I go for. I will make an idol, not out of anything. No, 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 no. I will make an idol out of something that I'm convinced can save me. I'm not just looking for a false god. I'm looking for a savior here. And that, oh, that's why money. Over and over, Jesus says, that's going to be the number one temptation for you for an idol. Over and over. You know why? Oh, money. Listen, money, you sure look like a good savior. When my kid was sick and I needed to buy penicillin, money, it was you. You were there for me. When I needed, when I needed a certain measure of confidence and power, money, it was you. When I had money in the bank, you gave me that self-worth. When I was lonely and I needed to go on a date, money, you helped me buy that steak dinner, right? You were there for me, money. When I was bored, money, you bought me that new iPhone, right? It's in color now, you know, just, you need a new one. You get my point? Money, you, money, oh, it's like, I don't want any God. I want a God that can save me. And money sure seems to fit the bill. Doesn't it look like a God that can save? Man, money's been there for me so many times. The trouble is what? Uh, when you put your trust in any idol and money's no different, when you give your life over to it, you basically say, I trust you with, your, with my life. You're saying, I am yours. Romans 6 says, don't you know that the one you offer yourselves to obey, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Matthew 6 says it this way, no one can serve two masters. It'll, either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The problem is money looks like a good savior, but it turns out every time it's a lie. And it can't do what it promises to do. It just can't do it. It is not mighty to save. Money is impotent to save. And we're left at the end of, after, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to get to that point. Sometimes like the rich young ruler, it takes a long time to burn through all that money before you realize it can't do what it promises to do. And worse than that, idols promise to set you free. Why else would we want to serve them? We're looking for things that can save us, can give us freedom. But they end up enslaving us. Only God, when we present our life to God, only he and he alone does this thing where he sets us free. When anything else, any other idol, when, 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 when anything but God is your master, it leads to enslavement. The possessor becomes the possessed. The rich young ruler had a ton of possessions, but he was possessed by his possessions. Now you might be saying, what, what are you talking about? How can you own something and you say it owns you? Let me illustrate. Let me give you an illustration of when you have a possession, but in fact your possession possesses you. Anybody in here own a cat? Do I need to continue the illustration or are we done here? We good? We good? Yeah. You ever, you ever go to the bathroom in the middle of your living room and say, hey, clean this up while I take a nap in the sunshine? You ever say that to your cat? No, but your cat says it to you. And what do you say? Oh, yes, master. That's fine. No problem. I'll get on that. Why? You don't own that. You're kidding yourself. That cat owns you. I've been there, right? I've been there. They have this weird power. I, I found out when I was 20, I was allergic to cats. All my childhood, we had cats. I was like, Ma, that's a lot of power. I know my kid's allergic, but, you know, it's the cat. <laughs> Guess we'll get rid of the kid, I, you know. 
You get my point, right? The same thing could be said of materialism. Same thing could be said of, of, uh, of uh, uh, things, of money. All right, we're at a fork in the road. And I understand, uh, Linda, uh, Pastor Linda mentioned it earlier. And, uh, you know, I understand that every time we gather, people are at different stages in the faith. And some, for some people, it's really like, I don't even know if I'm, you guys keep talking about saved and Christian. I don't even know if I would classify myself Christian. I'm still wrestling through this. I'm still asking a lot of questions. A couple things. First, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to keep coming back because I think you need to get your questions answered. And I think you need to, like we say down south, you need to chase God like a bobcat on a rabbit. And you need to not quit. I know it's a little random, but you can imagine the chase, right? You need to pursue God. Why? Because every, listen, everyone who seeks will find. And you think, yeah, but if God wanted me, he would barge in. He doesn't work that way. Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock, right? So you need to continue to come, continue to seek. The second thing is you don't really have to listen to the rest of the sermon. So kind of a bonus. If you're here, this is where you get off. Like when you take the L-I-double-R and you get to my neighborhood and they go, change at Jamaica. This is your stop, okay? Uh, you, this is it. If you are sitting here and you're going, well, when you talk about being a lawbreaker, I guess that includes me. I've had my sin exposed. You're right. I haven't followed the law perfectly. How can I be saved? With, with you, you can't. But here's the good news. Not good advice, good news. This is the royal announcement of what the Bible preaches and what preachers were put on earth to announce. That Jesus Christ came for us and our salvation. He was born perfect, the son of God, in a little manger in Bethlehem. He grew up, he lived a sinless life. He stretched out his arms on an old Roman cross. And what was happening when they put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns on his head, the wrath of God, the debt for sin, it was being absorbed. It was being paid in the Godhead, in Jesus Christ on the cross. Our penalty for sin was laid upon him. And in exchange, that righteousness that we could never get, watch this, you could never earn it, you could never earn it, but you could be given it. And Jesus takes that righteousness and the, as an old, it's kind of a Latin word, it just, you're, that his righteousness is imputed to you and to me. It just means that we are declared innocent because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And that's it. You need to pause there and meditate there and uh, uh, consider that you have been invited into his story. You can be adopted as a child of the king. You don't have to walk away from here like the rich young ruler very sad you can be received as a child of god today that's your stop if however and i suspect there are many of you who are believers you are christians i want to close with uh talking about a spiritual discipline uh ducks in a row this you sort of need a map for this sermon it's almost like dora you need to go over troll you got to go like uh uh rich young ruler sin was self-righteousness which means he was an idolater and now you know pause there uh, uh, if you've never dealt with that idolatry. But if you're a Christian, how do we keep idolatry from creeping back into our life? And that's how we get home. How do we keep idolatry from creeping back into our life? Let's say that we've sort of been there. We've been exposed by the law of our sin. We've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But I've noticed, haven't you, that materialism is like this weed. You cut it down, and it seems to grow back up. Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes a couple years. But I've done, in my life, it's been like, man, I think I'm really there. I think I'm free from the love of money. I have a sense of generosity in my life. I don't worry about money all the time. And then what happens? You get married or you have some kids and you're like, now I'm worried about money again. And it, 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 it like keeps cropping back up. 
So how do we do that? How do we learn to keep in step with the Spirit? Not to get saved, not to earn our salvation, but once we're saved, how do we learn to live as His child? How do we keep possessions from possessing us? How do we retain a heart that belongs to God alone and doesn't belong to God and a little bit of money? Especially in America, that's hard to do. Is there any hope? If only God would give us some spiritual discipline, some practice that could pry the talons of materialism from our soul. He did. It's not a magic pill. It's a practice, a discipline. And if you're not a believer, you can tune this out. Or you can listen in and get a sneak peek of one of the disciplines you'll do when you become a believer. Okay? Not a lot of people get that kind of sneak peek. So, And the discipline that God has given us to keep the talons of materialism from sinking into our soul, the discipline that can rightly order our life and put our money ducks in a row is called tithing. Now, I want to close by just answering a few of the frequently asked questions that I get about tithing. Yes, I'm going to preach on tithing. Yet that, that is what's happening right now. In fact, if you're, if you're new to church, you're like, man, I don't go to church. Why not? Because all they talk about is money. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm with you. Um, I can be cynical and, uh, about that stuff too. You watch people on TV and they're like, you know, so into this ministry. If you give a dollar, God will bless you with 10. I'm like, you're a liar. You are such a liar. You know why? Because if you really believe that, you would be mailing me one dollar. <laughs> Tell me if I send you a dollar. Practice what you preach. So I'm with you. I'm just as cynical about this stuff as you are. And the, and the thing that people, oh, you're preaching on tithing. Does that mean, so Tom, what you're saying is tithing is this thing that will save my soul? What sermon have you been listening to? No, you can't save your soul. So what you're saying is if I don't tithe, I'll go to hell. No, I could not be saying anything more different than that. Tithing is what? We need like a definition of tithing. Convenient. This isn't from the Bible. I wrote this. Okay? So if it's wrong, it's my fault, not the Bible's fault. I have misinterpreted something. This isn't scripture. This is just your old buddy Tom. But this is the best I can come up with. Tithing is a spiritual discipline. You mean this is something I have to do to get saved? No. This is something you do to keep in step with the Spirit because you are saved. Tithing is a spiritual discipline from the Bible practiced by Christians whereby stewards of God's money, it's not your money anyway, stewards of God's money return 10% of income to God through the local church. Noun. Uh, tithing is a spiritual discipline. A, a spiritual discipline, another one could be prayer. Another one could be fasting. These are not things we do to get God's attention. These are not things we do to somehow get God to like us more. These are things we do as a practice, as a discipline to train us. Why? Because God has this mission that he's going to take every single one of these sons and daughters that he's adopted and he's going to make them look more and more like our big brother, Jesus Christ. And he's not going to quit till he gets us there. And this is one of the means he uses to do it. Tithing. If he had picked, if he had said that you need to do jumping jacks for 10% of your day, I'd be preaching on jumping jacks. And there'd be all these people going, "Mm, don't go to church. They just talk about jumping jacks, right? And they would miss the point. But if that's what, but he didn't pick that. He picked tithing and that's one of the disciplines he picked. And so that's the one I preach on. Uh, Some people would say specifically, how does it work? I'll tell you how it works. A member, a Christian member of City on a Hill Community Church looks at his paycheck and says, it's all God's. 100%. 
And since I'm the steward of it, the manager of it, I will literally make some of it God's. So Joey Churchman <laughs> takes a percentage, and 10% is the starting point. Okay? The New Testament says 100% is God's. And so if you want to uh, take 10% as the starting point, um, uh, uh, take 10% of that and uh, write out a check. City on a Hill Community Church. Can you abbreviate C-O-A-H? Does the bank negotiate those? C-O-H-C-C? C-H-C-C, okay. I thought it was COA, but it's... <laughs> uh, whatever, you write City on a Hill Community Church. And here's the deal. If you made $150 that week, it's easy. 10%, $15. If you made $0, guess what? Your tithe, free this week, right? Because you didn't make it. 10% of free is free. Uh, now, if you have a set paycheck, that never varies. It's pretty easy for you. If you have a variable income, like you're a real estate agent or something, you make a ton of money one month and no money, you have to sort of sit down and think about it. And that's okay. You can sit down and think about it and consider how much God has blessed you. And now you're thinking, well, now, wait a minute. Since we're getting awful technical, should I tithe on the net or the gross? I've been a pastor for 11 years, and the answer I'm about to give is based on 11 years of pastoral experience. I believe when it comes to the net or the gross, when it comes to tithing, I believe my official answer, and you can quote me on this, is this. Man, I don't know. Cool. Uh, And the reason I don't know is because it's not a legalistic thing. Come on, this is a spiritual discipline. This is like asking me if I go to the gym, should I do my, my squats this way or like this way? Or I don't know. I think it's great you're in the gym. You're doing it. That, that's great. Let's encourage that. Let's encourage one another. It's a spiritual discipline, not some legalism. That question belies a heart that's saying, how much do I really need to do to get God to love? When it comes to net or gross, I will say this. Valentine's Day is Friday. Saying, how, what's, the, what's the least I can tie? Isn't that sort of like me going to my wife, Jackie? Hey, babe, I know Valentine's Day is this Friday. What is the absolute least amount of money I can spend on you and us still be, like, married? <laughs> Not looking to impress. Just looking to, like, hang in there. No divorce papers or nothing. What's, what are we looking at? Right? You'd say, well, I guess you could do that, but it seems like it would sort of miss the whole point. And that's my answer on net or gross. Uh, You would say, isn't tithing an Old Testament command? Yes, it is. Like, don't murder. I mean, there are all... (laughs) But seriously, that represents a deeper misunderstanding about God's perfect law. Yes, it is in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament too. And and the idea is letter of the law versus spirit of the law. So the letter of the law is tithing. What is the spirit of the law? A heart of generosity. I heard Randy Alcorn's thing on the Old Testament tithing. And he's like, so let me get this straight. If you're saying as a New Testament Christian that we shouldn't tithe anymore, that 10% is an Old Testament thing, you're honestly telling me that a poor agrarian Farmer Israelite was required by God to give 10% of his crops. There was no storage. There was no silo. There was no 401k. There was no savings account. So God required of the poor agrarian Israelite who did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who had not been on this side of Calvary's cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and did not have the community of saints known as the church, that God required less of him than you? Or that God required more of him than you? Come on, right? I was like, wow, Randy. Glad I didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) But he's right, you know? 
Yes, it's an Old Testament thing. Is it possible for it to become a legalistic thing? It can, but it doesn't mean the commandment itself is wrong. I know people that are too legalistic about their exercise. I'll give you an example. If people begin to make tithing the whole point, they're like those bodybuilders. Now look, the point of fitness is so your body can do all the cool things that human bodies are supposed to do. They're supposed to jump. They're supposed to run around. They're supposed to play with their kids till they're, you know... 80 years old. You know, like, that's the point of fitness. That's what's cool about a human body's fitness. I I was on the airplane, and we were going to a bodybuilder convention. I know, everybody thought I was part of it, but I wasn't. I was just connecting and moving on. I know. Obvi. But anyway, I was getting on there, and it was so funny. These dudes would get on there, these Hulk dudes, and they couldn't even fit in the chairs. They couldn't, their bodies were so jacked up, they couldn't get the overhead. They couldn't, like, fit the, I was like, let me help you with that, sir, right? I'm like, oh, you're the man. You can lift 800 pounds, but you can't put your carry on. You see what happened? He took a, he did what? He took a good discipline, exercise, but he made the exercise the point. That's like making tithing the point. The point is not tithing. The point is I do this so my spirit can begin. I do these spiritual disciplines so I can do the things that a human spirit's supposed to do. And we're supposed to do so many cool things. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to give to the poor. We're one day going to rule and reign in the new heaven, new earth. I need some disciplines that are going to get me there. And tithing is just such a discipline. It's not the point. The Pharisees missed the point. You remember this? There's a scene in the New Testament. It's unreal. Jesus is like... Uh, uh, calling out the Pharisees on their self-righteousness. And he's saying, you guys love the letter of the law, but you miss the spirit of the law. He's like, look, you tithe on your spices. And he was right. Dill and cumin, I think he mentions. You literally tithe your spices, but you neglect the poor and needy. Now, what's he talking about? No joke. The Pharisees were so letter of the law focused that they would sit down at the diner and they would order matzo ball soup, let's say. Something kosher. The kosher food would come And on the side of the matzo ball soup, this particular diner always put a little garnish, just a little sprig of parsley, right? You've been to a diner, they do that, right? But the Pharisees are not paying for matzo ball soup plus parsley. They're only paying for matzo ball soup. Ergo, the parsley is technically income. Not making this up. They would take that sprig of parsley and they would measure it and cut one-tenth of the parsley off and make sure they brought that onto the temple so that they could be one-tenth, they're good, they've tithed on everything. Meanwhile, as they're exiting the diner with their tithe of parsley, they would step over a homeless dude, right? (laughs) Right? And walk on. And Jesus is going, listen, and here's what he said. He doesn't say quit the tithing. That's what's interesting. He says, you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. You see? Interesting. He's like, in a way, your devotion is not what I'm against. Though, you know, you're sort of missing the point. But your devotion is not, the law is not what's wrong here. Your heart is has perverted and twisted it. Uh, do, uh, 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 some people ask, why tithe to the local church? I give to the Red Cross. I give to World Vision. Those are fine organizations. Compassion International, love it. You guys have compassion? Uh, I'm, I'm a giver to compassion. Can't say enough good things about it. Compassion, World Vision, Red Cross, these are awesome organizations. If you will, they are like the bridesmaids, but they're not the bride. He only has one bride. <clears throat> I tithe to my own church, New Hope Christian Church. And when I write that check, I know I'm not the guy to preach on this because I have a vested interest. They also pay my salary, so duh, of course I would preach this. But even if I weren't, even if I weren't, I tithe New Hope Christian Church. And here's why. Compassion's, mm, compassion is not, I love them so much, but they're not going to teach my little kid the Bible. And so Sunday school teacher's in there. And I love compassion so much, but they're not going to be around my hospital bed when I'm in real pain and sickness. 
It's my body that's going to be there, my local body. And I know if I could, technically, we would all write checks to the bride of Christ. But currently, the church global does not have a checking account like that. You can't, you know, heaven deposit, right? You can't write to the bride of Christ. And so we give through our local churches. And that's about all I can say on that. Uh, Does the amount matter? Yes and no. God has never been impressed with the amount. He's only impressed with percent. And he is impressed with percent. I can prove it. In the story of the widow's might, all the Pharisees walk up to the temple and Jesus is hanging back with his boys. He's like, yo, watch this. Teachable moment. Teachable moment. Watch. Okay. Be easier if you would just answer our questions without the parables. But anyway, (laughs) they'll start walking up and they're pulling out the checkbook and one Pharisee after another. (laughs) Excuse me. uh, Just curious. How many zeros does Bedillion have? Right? And they're making this big deal about it. They're sounding a trumpet. He's given. It's a big amount. They're having all this fun. Right up. Widow sneaks in. She's living on a fixed income. She got two little copper coins. Not worth a penny, worth less than a penny. Now think about that. They're worth less than one cent. It cost more for the Roman mint to print them than they were actually worth. Had she melted them down, they would have been worth more, okay? Worth less than a cent. And she gets in line between all these Pharisees. She's going, please, nobody notice. Please, nobody notice. One million, another bag of gold. And my parsley. You know, they're dropping all that in. And she walks up and she's like, ching, ching. And like bolts away. And Jesus is like, stop everything. She's like, oh, busted. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't mean me. Everyone notice this woman right here. <laughs> and they all look. He says, I'm here to tell you the truth. Of all y'all. Of all you guys. <laughs> telling you the truth. That woman has just given the most money. And Pharisees all looking around like, we saw what she gave. Jesus, you are obviously not a math person. (laughs) That's not going to fund the temple. That's not going to, you know. Jesus says something interesting. Uh, It turns out he's not impressed at all by the amount. He's only impressed by the percent. And he says this, you guys did give a bigger amount, but you gave out of the abundance of your riches. She gave all she had to live on. And all I care about is percent. And she gave 100%. Now, you're not even close. Now, you're able to pat yourself on the back because you do this thing where you compare yourself to other people. I've even done this thing where I compare myself to myself. I started making more money as I got older. And I'm like, man, I never wrote a check that big. I'm the man. God's like, no, you're not. Percent, dude, percent. Percentage, I had gone down, even though the amounts had gone up. Why? Because God had been blessing me. And here I was celebrating this. So do amounts matter? No, I don't think so. He's impressed with the percentage. Uh, I told you a couple weeks ago that I, I learned to tithe when I was a little bait, you know, just a little tiny dude. And uh, uh, I, get, I learned to give 10%. I don't want to do uh, 10% for the rest of my life. Like, it's not like I'm, I'm proud of the... The goal in life is to do things a little bit better than when you were five. You know what I mean? Like, I want to walk a little better and, like, tie my shoes and stuff. Like, you want to keep growing. All right, I thought that would uh, make sense, and it maybe didn't. But the point is, I want to grow in percentage. That's about it. Is it okay to make change in the offering plate? I'm not just goofing around. My answer is 100% yes, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I believe that you should give what the Lord has purposed on your heart. And if you're at home with your family doing a little bit of math to figure out how much has God blessed me, it's all God's, and here's what God has purposed on my heart to give, and it comes out to $15, and you get to church on Sunday, all you got is a 20, and you're like, the Lord has purposed 15. Everybody's going to look at you on the pew, but shake the haters because you have purposed in your heart. I think that is a much better way to give 
than to tip God like he's the valet who brought your car around. Oh, it was a good sermon. Oh, a little long, you know, or whatever, right? <laughs> right? I'd much rather that. Some people say, no, we should come with a blank check and the Lord will speak to us and all that stuff. I don't buy that. I've heard that before. And if, if that's your thing, that's great. But for me, I, I believe, you know, I give cheerfully. I love writing that check to New Hope. Because I write checks to Con Ed. I write checks to Verizon. Those aren't fun. But my check to New Hope, I, cheerful giving. Uh, what about, last thing I'll say. What about people who say we should tithe so God should bless us? Is it true that God will, like I was making fun of that guy earlier who's like so into this ministry and God will bless you. Is it true that God will prosper me if I give? They are right and they are wrong. In a way they're right, in a way they're wrong. They're wrong in the sense that if we give because our motive is to receive from God, we, we immediately see that's nonsense. Right, right? Valentine's Day, back to my wife. Honey, I got you this gift but I saved the gift receipt and I got it a day early so that you can go back to the store, cash it in, and in turn, buy me something bigger. <laughs> Not really a gift, is it? Right? It's a manipulation. Um, it's like we're buying God off, you know? Like, well, here, here's $80. Can't wait for the 200 or something, you know? Um, on the other hand, on the other hand, people who begin to order their finances through percentage giving will back me up on this. You can't outgive God. And that's just the truth. And that's about as close to prosperity gospel man as you're ever going to hear Tom Richter get. But it's true in my life. And if it were not true, I'd tell you that too. But I'm telling you, Jackie and I look at each other sometimes and just have to laugh. Like, you just can't outgive God. And we've been thinking our, ourselves, oh, you know, we've been so generous in this or that time we were able to give. We're not generous at all compared to what He has done for us. And He does uh, bless. That's it. Uh, I want us to go, all of us, uh, to go from being self-righteous to our righteousness being found in Jesus Christ. That part was handled on the cross, and there's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do to, to get into that. That's, that's his gift to us. We're going to close with the Lord's table. Having said that, now that we are adopted into his family, we need some disciplines to keep us on that path, to keep our, here we go, ducks in a row. And uh, the discipline of tithing is just such a thing that can get us there. I hope that you grow in the grace of that discipline. Just as if you were a physical fitness buff, I would want you to grow in your strength. It's the same thing. I want you to grow in that discipline. I want myself to grow in that discipline. And uh, I want us uh, never to struggle with that idolatry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good gift that we could never earn. The gift of your son Jesus on the cross. We thank you, God, that there's hope for the ri- there was hope for the rich young ruler. There was hope... For every sinner, there was hope for every Pharisee in Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would have the good sense to make the right decision. That we would not try to seek you by like losing more weight like a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. That we would not try to be more righteous so we could please you. But that we would live in the freedom. Free from all legalism and all the restraints of the law. But free to love you more. Free to be more like you. Not free to sin or free to be less like you, but free to be more like you. Not free so we can go back into sin's deadly prison, but free so we can do all the things that a human is supposed to do for your glory, to enjoy you and enjoy the good things you've given us. So we pray for that freedom, Lord, not legalism, but free. And I pray if tithing is a discipline that can still bless your people, and I pray that it is, I know that it is, that God, I pray we take percentage giving to heart and we grow in the grace of tithing and giving for me, for my own family, for this church. 
And I pray for all the believers that we would continue to grow in this discipline. Continue to get our ducks in a row. And next week, give us grace as we look at time and time management in the same way. I pray, God, that you would uh, grant us this uh, uh, great freedom throughout the week as we continue to ponder on the good things you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says on the night that he was betrayed, he gave thanks. And after he'd given thanks, he took some bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, the Bible says, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it in remembrance of me. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our ushers know how to get us to the table in a reverent manner. And so we're going to allow them to move freely about the sanctuary. They may light these candles or do various things. But just focus right now on the Lord and what's he saying to your heart. I, I, I know I did two things in a sermon, and I generally only try to do one thing, but I know I try to do two things. I tried to say, if, you're, if you've never received the good news of salvation, let today be that day. And then I said, if you have received the good news of salvation, continue in the discipline of tithing. But if you ever start to see those things as the same thing, then I've really failed you as a preacher. You see what I'm saying? You don't tithe your way into heaven. It's like you don't tithe your way into hell. You, it's, that's not the point, Okay. Uh, but you have been invited to be a part of his family. And for all those who've received the gift of salvation, who've all those who've said yes to the invitation to be part of his family, to make him the Lord of your life, this supper, this moment, is for you to rekindle that fire and to remember that he alone is God. He is your heavenly father. He has given you all things. And it, that's why it's a supper for those believers. If you're not a believer, I'll say, I've said it before, I said it again, keep coming back. Keep getting your questions answered. This supper is not necessarily uh, something that will apply to you, but that I'm, I want you to be here. You're going to receive a blessing each and every week as you continue to pursue God. Those who seek will find, okay? All things are prepared. The ushers are ready. The band is ready. And so let's allow the Lord to speak through us through this time of partaking in the Lord's Supper together. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.